Great, if we can give Dr. Chris another round of applause, please. Great presentation. Fantastic. And our panelists are coming right up again. Uh, just in case anybody is just joining us after lunch, uh, my name is Andre Sospin. I direct the Charter Membership Program here for Family Office Club. Welcome once again. I hope everybody is having an incredible day, some great insights, some great conversations, um, and, uh, and yeah, some, some good prosperity on the way. Uh, panel number four, uh, we are going to be discussing closing deals with wealth advisors and multifamily offices specifically. Uh, best practices and case studies on what works. Uh, so if we can give a round of applause for our current panelists, everyone. Thank you. I like the whole round of applause thing, guys, if you haven't noticed already. Um, but uh, start off, uh, uh, what do we have? Uh, I'm going by this list here. So Randy. Uh, so we have, uh, so we have Randy. Uh, we'll start with uh, with Randy. Hi, I'm Randy Abels. I'm with RSM, we're a national tax and consulting firm. I work a lot with uh, family offices, people who have liquidity events, forming family offices, and working with family offices on making direct investments. Thank you, Gary. I'm Gary Post. Uh, I manage private equity and venture capital portfolios for a handful of families who uh, found me and requested that I do that. I wasn't raising a fund. I also have an affiliation with a uh, multifamily office called Andina, and I work with them on unearthing interesting alternative investment ideas. Fantastic, thank you. Uh, next on, who do we have there? We have uh, Daniel. Hi, I'm Daniel Damon with Columbia Pacific. Uh, Columbia Pacific is a uh, group of, of uh, Entities, a family office, single family office for the Beatty family in Seattle, uh, a real estate asset management firm, uh, about 50 people, and then a wealth advisor. Uh, we run the California business, opened it up uh, about a year and a half ago, and we take care of a handful of families and basically uh, handle all their um, investing activities, planning activities, and, and take it a few steps, just, just a few steps close of a full family office experience. Excellent. Thank you, John. And I'm John Rice. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Keats Connolly. We are a Canadian-U.S. cross-border investment advisor. We do investments in both Canada and the U.S., and we do taxes in both countries, and we help people that move back and forth. And um, I've been asked on this panel to represent um, the RAA space along with Dan here. I did set up a company called Baywatch that doesn't exist anymore. That was uh, the subsidiary of a French family office, um, owning a large uh, network of retail uh, all over the world. Uh, think about 100 billion euros in revenue, and uh, that's it. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, and Jake. Hi, my name is Jake Block. I'm a private banker here in San Francisco for Deutsche Bank, working with a lot of uh, ultra high net worth individuals and family offices, direct deals, lending, cash wealth management, trust and estate planning across the board. Excellent, thank you so much. Uh, so I guess the first question I really have, um, especially being here in, in San Francisco, how do you handle startup companies who come to you looking for capital? Um, usually, uh, 
in our experience, it's always best for a lot of these companies to target single family offices, uh, not wealth management firms or MFOs. Um, but they do sometimes get through to your type of firm. Um, so how do you, how should, how are these usually approached when it's, um, when a, a startup company in a specific niche approaches you? What is the best way you think or how do you guys actually go into reviewing a potential deal? Yeah, yeah we'll start with Jake. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, obviously, being in the Bay Area, a lot of family, or a lot of startups come to me asking me for my advice and guidance in terms of fundraising. I think startups generally, you know, there's lots of core capital here, lots of seed finance. I think one way Deutsche Bank has been very successful is co-investment opportunities for our clients. So if a company's doing a Series B or a Series C, whether their original investors might have uh, take-up rights that they don't want they can come to me and uh, one of the advantages of our platform, depending on the startup, we can actually go out to the family offices that we work with and try to find co-investment capital. And that's been a real uh, opportunity for growth for us. Got it, and how do you guys, or how are you guys usually taking those in? Those are, like, how are you hearing about them? Or? Uh, just, yeah, networking and being Deutsche Bank, a large global investment oh, cool. bank. I mean, obviously our investment bankers are, uh, you know, underwriting some of the biggest tech deals in uh, Silicon Valley. And so, uh, you know, as a result of that, we get a lot of younger entrepreneurs that come looking for help, both from a personal financial uh, yeah. setup, but also for, uh, you know, six. we also have a venture debt practice. So uh, within the private bank, we work with RIAs and other uh, family offices that are seeding smaller companies that are looking for venture debt, and they'll come to us, and we can help with that as well. Excellent. John, looked like uh, you had something to say. Uh, Gary, sorry. Uh, let me answer from a, a multifamily office standpoint, is you probably have no business being involved in startups, uh, but one way to deal with the issue is to have relationships with seed funds that do. And you can be responsive to the startup by steering them to a seed fund uh, that has an interest in their space. As most um, family office, uh, let's say multifamily office clients, probably can't do one-off startups, and they probably shouldn't. Got it. So definitely a, a good question then to have if there is a startup ever approaching you is do you have connections to seed funding? that you can point me in the right direction. And you might find that same company downstream on a follow-on round, and they might uh, invite you to it, which might be a, a juicier opportunity. Great. John? Yeah, I, I would echo what Gary's saying. Um, as an RIA, it's very difficult to find um, the time to do the due diligence on these things as a single family office would be able to do. Um, I, I would also point out, though, that the, the fees for doing basic investment management are basically going down to zero and investment advisors are looking for ways to add value to their clients. Um, and one of the ways they can do that is having connections with individual private investments. And that's something that we've, uh, we've been developing. I can share my story if you want. Yes, please, Phil. So because, um, as I was saying, I was dealing with French people, so it was a major, uh, first of all, I was not asked to deal any investment but uh, of course um, uh, I wanted to give them the opportunity to get into interesting startup I've been there for some time so you know things are coming uh, naturally to me people wants to uh, not to have my blessings but uh, to uh, to have my uh, background experience have a corporate experience so 
the story was very difficult because I knew that I uh, would waste the time of a startup, which is to me uh, a nightmare. I think the, the startup needs to find people who are relevant to what they're looking for, not just money. And as you all know, the corporate investment is becoming super hot, and I think that's more in, a more interesting future for startups. So I was using, actually, a lot of French companies were coming visiting, and so I was using the opportunity of the business that this family uh, was owning to to find a way to, to make a POC or to find a, uh, to, to, to detect, uh, to create some interest on the business point of view to finally get the, you know, the people who are managing the money inside of this family to invest. And I'm very uh, happy because it happened once with a company based in Brooklyn and uh, after having met uh, the big uh, execs from, uh, from uh, one of the business, the French Walmart somehow, uh, an investment was made on, the, on this company. So I had to be smart to find a, a different way because I had a lot of people coming to me because they kind of known. And uh, so it was, uh, it was my way, using the, starter, the, the, the corporation around you to create some interest. Thank you, yes. Uh, and you can give me examples as well of, um, Dan, any companies that have maybe been successful at going to you, startup companies that have been successful either by you connecting them or you guys providing the funding? Yeah, we're uh, less likely to provide the funding. I think having uh, a team here uh, for 20 years, we've just been uh, pretty immersed in the venture ecosystem, and it's all relationships, right? So we, we would, um, we've directed people to, you know, what we think are the tier A players in the, in the angel space, and I think that's, that's the most value we can add is really making those high-quality introductions rather than trying to cobble something together internally. Great. And uh, Randy, I did want to give you an opportunity to answer as well. Yeah, so we look at this two ways. One, we first take a look at the startup to see if what they have makes sense, see if the numbers make sense, talk to them about what they're doing. Then what we'll do is, depending on the, synerg the synergies, we'll actually connect them with some of the other families or people we know that might be in that same space. So, um, you know, it's really about connecting the people. But I think the main thing, people doing startups, they really have to understand what they're doing. They have to understand what phase they're in. And a lot of them have to understand what they put together either as a business plan or their financials. They have to make sense because, like the people in this room, there's a lot of sophisticated people looking at this stuff. So they have to understand and they have to be able to showcase their expertise. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, and I kind of want to have a little follow-up question just for a couple people to answer, but I bet there are a lot of people. I know there are a lot of people that call our office. I can only imagine for you guys uh, that ask specifically that. Can you connect me with an investor that does invest in this type of industry? Now, obviously, you guys have your schedules full, a lot to do, and obviously you have to be very careful with who you're introducing uh, to your network. So what would you recommend to that startup company and their management team in terms of them being able to actually get you on their side and at least point them in the right direction? What do you think are, are critical points that these companies should keep in mind if they do want to go to you in order to have access to some of the people that can provide them with that funding? One way is if they come in through somebody we know. We take care of people and we remember people we know that have helped us in the past. So we, they get our attention. That's one of Come in from somebody we know, and then we'll refer it to somebody else. It's just a service. There's no, no charge or anything. We're not in that business. We're not in investment banking. So that's, that's a good way. 
Also, having a good deck helps. Uh, many startups um, can't even explain what they do, and that's a, a, a chilling effect. <laughs> Huge. Yes. And we have also had a, um, a, a partnership with a private equity firm in Scottsdale, Arizona, that was introduced to us originally by a, a, a client of ours who has since passed away, but we, they've done um, a couple of deals. That, you know, They do a deal every couple of years and have been doing in the business for 20 years, and we have referred other clients, at least introduced other clients to them. Um, this is something that we actually don't hold ourselves out as having done the due diligence on the deal and we don't charge anything. It's just an additional service that we've been able to provide to our clients. Great. Did anybody else want to add on to that? Some advice to startup. I mean, I, I just noticed I'm not a banker, so obviously it's uh, less obvious why the people would reach me, but I, I just noticed that, uh, well, they do actually, and, but they don't really, well, it's the Silicon Valley game, you know, it's like uh, I'm a startup and I can pitch the first person that come and uh, they, they don't do the homework enough and they make a lot of irrelevant, um, I would say, um, requests and, and, and you know, it's, um, it's, it's, um, it's a matter of, of trust uh, unless if it's your job. If it's not your job, I mean, the advice to startup is really uh, reach the people if that makes sense, if there's uh, not just a connection but the background and I think I noticed a lot of company you know too many people want to be entrepreneur too many people are coming here and we obviously I have a bunch of uh, entrepreneur coming from not just from France but abroad and uh, so I see the French guy and uh, let's talk to him and it's not really uh, I mean there's still a lot of education to make uh, on that matter to be relevant when you reach someone because you're just wasting both time you know excellent excellent I will I had a gentleman here that was pretty eager to ask a question so I will give him that chance to ask it and just please announce your name to the audience. Yeah, my name's Tony. Yeah, I work in, had work in tech. Um, I, I noticed this conference is starting to talk about startup investing. I mean, there's quite, I believe there's quite a few of us here that would like uh, the panel to talk a little bit about how do you look at other investments like emerging hedge funds, like uh, other types of, um, you know, like types of investments just besides startups. Being in Silicon Valley, we get that all the time. <laughs> but what we would like to, you know, I'm, I'm advising a lot of wealthy families, and the issue that I have is what are your frameworks when you're dealing with, when, you know, the, the other panel was about invest, uh, emerging managers and spinouts. And I thought that was about emerging hedge fund managers, and it was all about startups, which is good, which is good. But I would, with this strong panel up here, I would love to hear what you, the process that you guys go through when you're vetting uh, emerging, may, they may be investing in quantitative strategies, multi-strategies, whatever. How do you guys, what, what do you go through to vet those guys before you allow them through the door? Thank you. Great, thank you, Tony. Yeah, round of applause for Tony, everybody. I'm glad I picked you. Go ahead, uh, I'll let you take Tony, it. that's a great question. Obviously, as a private banker at a large institution, we vet uh, lots of managers and I get inbound calls from startup managers all the time asking how do they get onboarded onto our platform. And I think for a lot of investors out there, it's really hard to understand what's the difference between one quantitative strategy and another. So a firm like Deutsche Bank has an incredibly thorough vetting process to get a, uh, a new fund onboarded, but we also have an open architecture where we can bring funds onto our platform and allow clients to invest in them without having them 
we have a DB Select platform, which you know won't go into the specifics on, but there is it's it's a robust framework that you need to have. Can you underwrite the investment strategy? Can you back test it? Have you due diligence the uh, the managers? Do you understand what they're trying to do? And one thing that you really have to understand is how does that correlate to the rest of your investment strategy, right? If you're investing in a in a you know a risk overlay on a, you know that's that's heavily correlated to the oil futures market. What does that look like relative to your portfolio? I'll add one point, and I don't want to dominate the panel, but one of the things that we do, especially here in Silicon Valley, is our clients come to us with very heavily concentrated stock positions, single stock positions. How do they look at the risk across their portfolio? How do they choose hedge funds that will therefore mitigate some of that risk? Sharp ratios, alpha, all the kinds of stuff that bankers talk about, and we do a lot of that. But vetting a Picking a strategy or picking a new manager and investing them, thats it's a lot harder than you think, and I'd be happy to talk to you more about it after the panel. Yeah, well, yeah. so when we have someone come with a new strategy, the first thing is we take a look at their history. We do similar, as he just said, due diligence, take a look at it. We have our financial services team actually test it and do pretty extensive background checks. And then with the families we're working with that have brought it to us, we take a look at their whole asset plan. A lot of them do asset aggregation. They use technology for that. And we see if it makes sense and what their actual, you know, what they have, what their investment philosophy is for the family. A lot of families are different. And with some of the new software products out there today, you can actually see across many different generations on how an investment would affect you know, all the different, you know, the different, you know, levels, the G1, the G2, G3. But I think it's very important that people understand how a certain strategy affects what the family already has in place. Uh, do you mind? No, I don't mind at all. Because, uh, you know, Tony, I think uh, speaking about family offices, because that's what it's about in this panel, you know, I think it's not just about money. Because uh, I can see a bunch of families, you know, uh, very focusing on the valuation of their business. You know, they know where to find those. General Atlantic, you know, whatever, they, it's, it's well known. Those companies are well known. But I think the, 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 the focus of the family sometimes is also to uh, how to keep the, the generations going on. And that's why the startup came, and it's such a topic. First of all, because we're in Silicon Valley, we're in San Francisco, you know, and we're not uh, in, you know, in New York or somewhere else. But I think also, uh, uh, and that was really my concern, is how how to help this, this family, and uh, because I know so many families that lost somehow the power, you know, of, uh, of, the, of, of, their, of their business. And I think the, the startup ecosystem is somehow a way, not directly, but to help the, 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 those companies to, those family offices to keep the, the valuation going on, to invest in champions of tomorrow. And you will find them, you know, more, I guess with a successful investment in startup rather than you know uh, some uh, hedge funds or whatever we know how it works it's quite easy and uh, and it's important of course but I think the concern of those family members sometimes is not just about money excellent thank you sorry Lord, I said the, no it's fine it's fine uh, investor panel but uh, uh, John would you like to add to well Tom I guess I, I would just make a couple of comments on that and I agree that uh, I don't think we can stress enough the importance of due diligence in investing. And it, as I said before, it is difficult for an, an investment advisor to do that. Um, a couple of things that we're looking for is if, if we're going to do the, the extensive due diligence on a particular investment, we'd like to know that it, 
there's, there's going to be more down the road. Like, for example, I was talking to someone here today, and they actually have a structure that's an open-end structure. That's a, that's a little different. But that type of thing, because what happens with us is we get a new client next month or next year that um, has an aptitude in, in investing risk tolerance for private investments, and we want to be able to bring on those new clients into that. So just a one-type deal like a startup is not going to be as helpful for us, not going to be as attractive for us to do the due diligence on it. And how often are families coming to you requesting s s uh, for you to search for direct deals in real estate or? It, or in many sector? cases, we we um, bring on a client um, for a specific need, and that's the cross-border planning. And then we're building their investment portfolio for them, and we can pretty much tell right away whether there's somebody that that is has an aptitude for this. And so it happens, you know, probably a couple of times a year more frequently that Dan we're great daniel would you like to well, well i um we were going to get to real estate i think was that the next oh uh, we were going to i wanted to stay on his question yeah so we have uh, the way we built our um our alternatives platform and the way we get the families we advise access to alternatives is a little bit different we've developed relationships with three external groups um, most of them are nationally known certainly in the professional investor community, they're all very well known. And because we have relationships with them, we, they do extensive due diligence um, and, and provide access that you just can't get anywhere else. Um, we, we make introductions to those groups because they like to find managers at an early stage. And I think that's a lot, that, that can provide more value, I think, to the, the, invest, you know, the investor who's looking uh, to build his fund. Excellent, Gary. This final word is hedge funds are tools. They're like the hammer, the screwdriver. You have to use them as a toolkit. Just going at one hedge fund is uh, a mistake. And our point is it's all about correlations with the entire portfolio and correlations to other managers in the same sector. So we have like six managers all doing commodities, but they're doing it in a different way. And the objective for our shop is to produce an absolute return. So it's, that's their tools. They're only tools. They're not a return vehicle all by themselves. Great. And it was such a great question. Do you have a follow-up for that? or? or? Is there a preference among the panel to go with a, a SMA structure versus a fund structure? Like when you do, like you're saying, it's a tool, you do the correlation, you have your, uh, your stable of different hedge funds that you would put money with. But then when you do put money with the funds, is there a preference? Do you prefer to go with, for example, a separately managed account structure, or do you prefer to go with a fund structure and just invest with a class A, class B type of uh, situation? Depends on the size of the investor, strictly. There's a lot of people, it doesn't make sense. You just want to be in the fund. I, I think the, the bottom line of your question is, you know, the fees and the fees associated with these investments, right? And what are the after, you know, after fee returns that you can expect? And SMA might make sense for a, a much bigger client who's looking for direct access to the manager and a fund make, might make sense for a smaller fund manager. And then obviously liquidity preferences, et cetera, et cetera, go down the line. So it's really investor specific. Right. Dan, do you have? No, I, I would echo, I think that, um, I mean, most of our clients want to go direct. They want to be efficient. They don't want extra layers of fees. So 
direct in, in an LP structure is usually what we see. Great, thank you. Um, absolutely. Uh, so I, now the next question I do want to ask is about real estate. How often are your, are you helping families acquire self-storage or apartment buildings directly? Because many times what we see is that a lot of wealth management firms want their clients to go into REITs, go into fund managers, ETFs, um, because of the more streamlined due diligence. Can, can I start this one? Yeah, Only please. because we've got a big real estate practice. I Great. think the, our industry, uh, the wealth advisory industry, does a really poor job of getting clients systematic access to high quality, high cash flow real estate. Back in our days at JP Morgan, we could get you into Blackstone, we could get you into Starwood, multi-billion dollar funds. A lot of the RIAs just don't have the internal infrastructure. Um, so it's a challenge, and that's why we, we're, you know, we like where we're at. We've got um, 50 people that do dil due diligence on real estate, and, and so we, uh, we get people involved in direct self-storage deals, direct senior housing deals, uh, but, but I'm 90% of my time thinking about real estate's not what we're doing at Columbia Pacific, but bringing people in who Columbia Pacific has uh, you know, within their network and finding ways to get clients access to those opportunities as well. Excellent. Okay, did you have something yeah, I, was, I was going to say clients come in, we help them structure their real estate transactions, and depending on what their appetite is, there's a lot of good investments. As the market's changed the last few years, and more families and wealthy individuals are going more direct investing, and they also have a longer-term hold. They're looking at investments from a different way and how it fits into the family's positions and also with other investments. And the other thing we're seeing a lot of where families in certain areas, let's say there's a family that has expertise in self-storage or whatever, they'll bring them in and a lot of the families now are co-investing in their real estate investments. Yeah, maybe I can take this from the other angle. Deutsche Bank's DNA is in debt. So we work with a lot of families when it comes to borrowing money to finance their direct real estate investments. We have 13 different balance sheets that we lend against. We have a robust CMBS practice. We have recourse and non-recourse solutions for clients. Recourse, if you're buying a product, uh, a piece of real estate, we're going to do some improvements and turn it around, re-up the leases, et cetera, and then roll it into a CMBS product. You know, and we don't have, you know, we're, we're a global investment bank. I can do anything from a $25 million loan for a client on a self-storage product to a $350 million loan on a campus in Silicon Valley. So, you know, for us, it's... You know, clients, you know, the, the short answer is the kind of clients that we deal love direct deals, like the direct opportunities. Excellent. And, and Randy, I want to go back to you in terms of, like, the systems that you guys have in place in order to be able to provide that consistent deal flow if there is a family that's looking for self-storage or multifamily. Well, we typically do not. The deal flow comes to us either through our families or our clients in those certain industries. Mm. And then we do get, you know, some deal flow, you know, unsolicited, which usually is brought to us through the families or through our clients. And then we look at it that way. Got it. Excellent. Uh, Gary, I don't think uh, you touched up on this topic. Yeah, we're looking for development deals, uh, individuals, not large funds. And so we're looking for uh, joint venture partners with expertise as far as do we help um, people that have their own deals and want us to help them close them? Yes, uh, every day. Excellent. Did you want to add to that, John? Um, we, d we do use mostly public real estate, publicly traded securities. Um, we do have a number of our clients because of the nature of our cross-border business, a number of them that are involved in EB-5 projects, mm -hmm. including um, real estate right here in downtown San Francisco. It's got a hotel. 
Okay, great, excellent. Uh, does anybody have any questions in the audience? I feel like there's probably a lot of people ready to ask some questions over here. So we have questions on the right-hand side over here. Young lady with the white blazer. Please make sure to announce your name to the audience. Sure. Hi, I'm Carol Jupiter. And uh, Gary, you were the only one that talked about you know, encouraging people to go into a fund rather than direct deals. And I was just curious of the rest of the panel, like not everybody can do the due diligence on a private equity deal or, you know, there is a trend for people wanting to go direct and do co-investments, but I just was wondering if other people had opinions yeah. on going into a venture fund versus doing the, trying to do it themselves. I don't know if I you, you already yeah, actually, I think I already talked about that, saying that the um, early stage should should be in funds. Does anybody else have opinions? Yeah, I I would concur. Um, I made the comments about RIAs not having the, really the infrastructure to do due diligence. Um, for us, when we're looking at private investments, we're going to um, gear towards a, f a fund of funds that, or something that has the infrastructure in place to do the due diligence. Um, it's always a trade-off, of course, with the costs, the additional layer of fees, which is another thing we don't like. So <laughs> we have to be, you know, walking that line, fine line. I, and I would say that despite their, the appetite for directs, I think, you know, 80% of what we're doing in the private capital markets is within funds. Uh, very difficult to get into. And, and funds that will also, op, op, you know, um, offer co-investment which I think is a good way to get access to individual companies. You know, throwing darts at individual investments is very difficult. So I think, you know, the, the prudent way is to find, uh, you know, really high quality due diligence on funds that, that most people can't get into. Yeah, and the two biggest problems I see families have is one, they don't have the capability to do due diligence, nor do they want to spend the funds. Uh, so, so that's an issue. And then the other thing is a lot of the families, they don't have the deal flow they need to actually find deals. You ask a lot of people in this room, other speakers, you've heard how many deals they look at to find one deal. The families don't get that deal flow. And I think for us, it's about looking at the overall portfolio. If you are thinking about doing direct investing, what percent of your portfolio is in direct investing and what are you actually looking to do? We do have a co-investment fund on our platform for clients that are looking for sort of more vetted deals where they can tag along. We have a fund of funds that includes venture and secondaries. Uh, and also, I mean, I think one of the things we haven't touched on, we talked on real estate, but the fund versus direct is opportunity zones are obviously a big deal currently. And, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of different ways to play it, whether or not you want to do direct deals and single developers, or whether or not you want to do commingled funds. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously lots of options, but it's looking about what the client needs today and what their long-term time horizon is and then trying to overlay what the risk is of the overall portfolio. It's about portfolio strategy. I think, you know, investing direct, it's throwing darts, right? And the question is if you co-invest, how big's your dart? Great. Thank you. Uh, I have a question here on the left-hand side. Hi, my name is Leslie Peterson and I'm just a single family office myself, not a multifamily or anything like that. But um, <clears throat> I want to share with you that if you are looking for direct investments, it is hard. It is a lot of work. Um, but there are lots and lots of platforms and groups throughout the country that help 
bring forth startups in a very uh, qualitative way. Uh, the gentleman before, uh, Dr. Christian Apfel, he is associated with Karitsu Forum. Karitsu Forum has a phenomenal um, uh, filtering system for startups and they only bring very, very high quality startups to pitch for investors. And Karitsu Forum has a group of say 750 to 1,000 angel investors that you can collaborate with on due diligence and whatnot. So it's not out of the question to do and I think it's really smart if you want to do it. Um, and going to a VC firm is, yes, another opportunity, but there are huge, huge possibilities out there going direct. Um, and that's how Dr. Christian got funded was Kuritsu. I saw him at a Kuritsu forum pitch and it was a phenomenal product. And he got a million dollars funded and by a group of angel investors of, you know, 50 people that morning for a three hour session. So anyways. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, and then before we wrap up here, if each panelist can just take a quick 20, 30 seconds to let us know what is your ideal type of asset or investment or fund that you're looking for right now? So uh, we'll start with Jake and go down the line. Well, that's a great question. I mean, as a private banker, I do what the client asks me to do. But yeah. uh, what I think clients are looking at right now is, uh, you know, a low-fee environment. I think we're seeing equities at the top of the market. They're looking for direct access to deal, cheap lending, and, uh, you know, alpha. They're looking for alpha. Okay, thank you. With the uh, families I work with, I would say the ideal thing is you have somebody who had a liquidity event, sold a business, they're an expert in the field, and they f get together with other families to in do investments in, they s in the similar field, and you have the expertise of the original family, which actually works out wonderful. Do you have a specific field that you guys are currently like highlighting right now? Specific fields, industries that, that you would say are common well, or more I common than others? The, I would say there's a lot going on in the technology in the real estate industry. There's a lot going on technology in the restaurant industry, and healthcare has become huge. Families just love anything with technology, AI, uh, with that, and we've seen a lot of that going on with our families. Great, thank you, Gary. We're looking for other families to share expertise and deal flow with in the private equity and venture world. Uh, we think one of the ways to be successful is to have those relationships, as Randy would say, when people have actually done it before. Uh, on the real estate side, uh, we're looking for skilled developers to joint venture with us in building on some of the projects that we have now. Excellent. Daniel? You know, as allocators of assets, I think we're lo the three areas that just kind of jump to mind. One is um, infrastructure. Uh, you know, we generally think uh, equity markets are overvalued and um, after a run like this we're looking to mitigate risk you know the clients are very wealthy the number one job is to preserve the capital so infrastructure um, with strong cash flow uh, I'd also say um, self-storage is a pretty you know high cash flow best performing segment in real estate over the last 10 years and then uh, you know on the equity side shifting money from public equities to uh, really strong um, small and mid-cap buyout managers. Can you elaborate on the uh, infrastructure side of things? So, um, you know, we, what we like about infrastructure, and, and we're not doing direct deals, right? We're, we're, we're investing with, with managers. Um, we like the, um, the low correlation with other asset classes. 
again, investors like cash flow, and so uh, you know whether you're whether the manager's buying marinas uh, or they're doing cell tower deals, mm -hmm. um, you know th those businesses, you know people don't move their boats when when we have a downturn in the markets, and that's what what we're trying to for, you know portend is when when we have difficult markets and it's coming, I don't know when, but it's it's coming. We we'd like assets that that. Are not uh, you know that are holding their value and still providing cash flow. Excellent, thank you, John. And, and I would give two answers to this question too. Is um, private equity is an area that we um, have haven't traditionally invested in, but we are um, looking at adding a private equity offering for the clients that it would be appropriate for. Probably about maybe 25 percent of our clients or so. It might be appropriate to add that. The other um, the other area is. Um, specialized investments that produce foreign source income that can be um, used foreign tax credit carryovers against. And if uh, you don't know about this, it's kind of a complicated area, but we get, because of our investors coming from Canada in a lot of cases, they produce, they end up with a bunch of foreign tax credit carryovers on their, that they can essentially get tax-free income out of if they, if they invest the right way. So that's another thing that we're always looking for new opportunities with. Thank you, John. And Phil? So I switched to a different role and now work for one of their business, which is uh, established in the barrier called Decathlon. So if you're looking for sport articles at a good price and great quality, uh, go and check them out. They have a store in San Francisco and Meville. And uh, for them, I'm right now I'm checking, uh, I'm scanning startups, technology for them. And uh, hopefully we'll come to uh, doing some, uh, I hope, investment in some come start up doing product in the, in the sports space. So that's what it is. Got it. Thank you so much. If we can please give our fourth panel of the day a big round of applause. Thank you so much. Great insights there. And next up, we'll bring up Richard Wilson, everyone.